0: Hello and welcome back to Coffee Books. Today we are continuing on at the top of page 49 in The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee by Tristan Stevenson. Let's begin. The Skill of the Roaster Roasters will buy coffee based on a number of factors. Flavor is, of course, one of the most important and this will in part be a reflection of how and when the coffee was picked, processed, graded, packaged, and imported, and how these factors balance with price. Sustainability and ethics also play a part, so questions arise about how much a farm is being paid per pound of coffee, how sustainable the agricultural methods of the farm or state are, and how the co- growers are being paid, if the coffee is the product of a cooperative effort from numerous smaller growers. Once the coffee is in hand, then it's the skill of the roaster that shapes the final character of the coffee and connects the dots between origin, terror, and specific variety with those of brewing method and cup quality. But it's important to remember that bad green coffee can be tamed, but not entirely saved, by the hands of a great roaster. Just as a bad roaster, or an average roaster for that matter, can very easily corrupt even the finest specialty beans. Mastering the roast is an art form that can be likened to few others. The complex chemistry and physics of roasting coffee have been the subject of hundreds of books and research papers, as scientists attempt to identify the flavorful and aromatic constituents of good roasted coffee and work out where they came from. Naturally, an understanding of the workings of the roaster itself is important, but an understanding of the green coffee and a clear vision of positive attributes that it harbors are also key. Those with their hands on the gas knob have adopted practices, tweaked their methods and tasted a lot of coffee in search of a better product. Today, our understanding of roasted coffee is better than it has ever been, but the growing realization that coffee is enormously complex has only really cemented a feeling of acceptance as to how powerless we are to truly affect and select its attributes. On a molecular scale. Sure, through some trial and error, perhaps through s- some referencing of past roasts, we might be able to highlight a peach-like acidity in Ethiopian Yirgacheffe coffee, or a chocolate character from Brazilian Datera coffee, but hand-picking attributes with any level of precision is no easier than opening your fridge door and expecting a roast dinner to fall out. Part of coffee's beauty is its ambiguity. It's not roasted to an exact recipe of aldehydes, acids, sugars, carbonyls, caramels, carotenoids, and other molecules in a perfect formula of saturation, contrast, and brightness. Roasters are more like Impressionist painters, where the artistry may be vague, imbalanced, and imprecise, but the resulting composition as a whole can depict a rich, emotional story through its imperfections. The Evolution of the Coffee Roaster The modern coffee roaster represents over 500 years of acquired knowledge. Improvements in design only became necessary once it had been established what was wrong with the equipment available at the time. A better design meant a better product, which would command a higher price for both the machine and the coffee it produced. Bigger designs were only needed once casual home roasters accepted That commercially roasted coffee was of a higher standard and more consistent than the stuff they were making on their fireplaces looking through the evolution of the roaster there are three fundamental issues that the inventors have fought with first is the even distribution of heat through the coffee bean mass which we know gives a consistent and better quality roast second is the speeding up of the process of loading and unloading the roaster which increases throughput The rate of production or the rate at which something can be processed and decreases labor cost. Third is the ability to monitor the roast by way of visual or physical access to the coffee beans which results in clearer precision and ultimately a better product. Early roasting We will probably never know exactly when the first coffee roasters came into existence since they almost certainly evolved organically from the regular cooking equipment of the day. Stone bowls and clay cups were certainly popular options, left to sit over hot coals or an open fire, and occasionally stirred to ensure even bean browning. They got the job done, of course, but scorched bean surfaces and underdeveloped centers were commonplace. The first known dedicated coffee roaster made an appearance in Persia in the early 19, or sorry, in the early 1400s. This roasting plate was like a large perforated spoon designed to sit above an open fire pit or brazier and roast small quantities of coffee at a time. The holes in the plate tell us that early coffee drinkers recognized the importance of convection and good airflow in the roasting process. Similar designs followed, increasing in size and coming to resemble a large metal spider crouching over hot coals. The concave nature of the early roasting spoons also points to a general understanding of the importance of movement during roasting, to better aid even cooking. Further enhancements were made through the 16th century, culminating in Ottoman-inspired long-handled frying pans or skillets, with sealed lids and a long paddle, not dissimilar to a copper bedpan, that could be turned to agitate the beans. Cylindrical coffee roasters were the first major breakthrough. They came about in the mid-17th century and were probably of Turkish origin. Mounted over an open fire and generally constructed from tin-plate or tin-coated copper, these roasters were sealed units, turned by hand, in efforts to keep the beans moving and, they believed, keep the aroma well-contained. Whether recognized at the time or not, these cylinders would have been a great improvement over the open-pan approach. Through the uninterrupted shifting of the beans as well as the protection from open flames that they offered. By 1660, these cylindrical roasters were popping up in London, one example being Elford's White Iron Machine, which was turned on a spit by a jack and considered a huge technological leap forward, since the use of human labor, usually in the form of a small boy, was no longer required. It was perhaps the Dutch who took the most serious approach to coffee roasting equipment, as attested by Humphrey Broadbent, the London coffee man in 1722. I hold it best to roast coffee berries in an iron vessel full of little holes, made to turn on a spit over a charcoal fire, keeping them continually turning, and sometimes shaking them that they do not burn, and when they are taken out of the vessel, Spread them on some tin or iron plate till the vehemency of the heat is van- vanished. I would recommend to every family to roast their own coffee, where then they will be almost secure from having any damaged berries or any art to increase the weight, which is very injurious to the drinkers of coffee. Most persons of distinction in Holland roast their own berries. The Dutch-born iron vessel that Broadbent refers to was the first wide-scale roasting solution for the household fireplace, like Elford's invention, it consisted of a closed cylindrical chamber of around 20 centimeters or 8 inches in length, but featured a sliding door for the beans to be dropped through. The end of the roaster would be hung on the hook of the traditional fireplace crane, and the wooden handle turned slowly to facilitate the roasting of the beans. This type of roaster subsequently evolved to become a freestanding contraption of larger proportions also sporting a metal hood to help heat retention, more commonly used by coffee shops. We'll stop there today and begin again next morning at the bottom of page 51. Thank you for listening. Good day and good coffee, friends.